Brian McClanahan Show, episode 235. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to go out and find all those things yourself, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find all my social media buttons. That is Brian with an O, brianmcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show when you're there by going to the top of the page. We'll see a button that says support. Click on that or a, a tab that says support. Click on that. You can throw a few bucks my way or a few pennies, whatever you want to throw my way. Help keep the lights on That you're, if you're watching on the podcast, watching on YouTube. Help keep the podcast going. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com where it's always free to enroll. And those that do enroll do get the best deals on forthcoming courses. I do have a couple of coming out, a couple more coming out this year. They're my U.S. History Survey courses. So they're going to be the hub courses of the class. You're really going to want these things because uh, they are going to drive you to the other courses as well. So you got the best deals. You also get a free class when you enroll, 10 Myths of, uh, of American History. And you can also become a Brian McClanahan, or I should say a McClanahan Academy affiliate. Just at the top of the page, you'll see at the McClanahan Academy, You'll see a tab that says Affiliate Program. Click on that. gives you all the details. So you can make some dough off of me. So become an affiliate, sell McClanahan Academy, make some dough, and also spread the word. You can also support the show by uh, clicking on that button on uh, brianmcclanahan.com that says Shop. Click on that. Take you out to get all my Brian McClanahan Show apparel. And you can always go to learntruehistory.com. Learntrue, T-R-U-E, history.com. That is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Great stuff there. A lot of bang for your buck. I teach there along with Tom, of course, and Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, a whole lot of people. You're going to want that. Bob Murphy. Great website, and uh, it's a fantastic opportunity to get more education, not just history, but also philosophy, economics, great stuff. So you got a lot of ways to support the show, and I do appreciate your support. Also, rate the show on, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you wherever you listen to it. Uh, and share it around on social media. Anything you can do to help spread the word is greatly appreciated. And always send me those show ideas. Okay, so I promised that I was going to talk about Michael Malice's new book and the new right, and I'm going to do that. But I wanted to get into one thing first, so that will be the next episodes of the Brian McClanahan show, and um, or I should say one episode. I'm going to put them together because I think it's better just to talk about Malice's book along with this article in National Review about the new right, and put them together and discuss it as an entirety. Um, but uh, I'm going to do that for the next show, and it's going to be a really good one. And it'll actually follow up on the heels of uh, a, a appearance on the Michael Malice podcast that I'll be doing. Um, I don't know when that will air, but I'll at least, <clears throat> I will at least um, be on his show. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, if you are a Michael Malice fan, you can look for me there. I don't do many uh, podcast appearances, but um, I will be on that show. So uh, I am going to cover that. It's a great book, by the way. If you haven't read it yet, I'm, I'm about 99% through it, so I haven't finished it 100% yet, but it is fantastic. And so you're going to want to read it. And um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's parts of that book that just made me laugh out loud. He's, of course, Malice is funny. Uh, but 
going out there and get The New Right by Michael Malice and uh, look for my podcast on that. Uh, so I have a lot of great stuff. But this one is one that came through The Atlantic. And uh, it's, it's a really interesting topic because I've been saying this exact same thing for years. Right? For years. So, <laughs> um, and, and the important thing about it, I mean, I've got my Constitution class, right? And I think I even say this in the first part of the Constitution class. I said it in my Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution. We've got, in the United States, two different games played on two different fields by two different teams, and they're not playing each other. So, for example, you have people that believe, when, when you start talking about the Constitution, it doesn't really mean anything. Because for one group of people, it means we're playing baseball. For another group of people, it means we're playing football. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, for originalists, for those that look at the Constitution as a limiting document, it limits the power of the general government, which essentially is the original idea. Now, we can, we can debate whether it's textualism or originalism or how we should have these, because all those things matter, right? But the idea that the Constitution is a limiting document are the people that are playing baseball. Because in that particular idea, there are rules, there's tradition, uh, it's a it's a incremental game. You can only do certain things, right? The rules don't change very often. I mean, look at baseball and how important long-standing rules are in that particular game. And the best place to be in baseball is home, right? Safe at home. And when you think about federalism, real federalism, the best place to be in real federalism is safe at home. You have... Your own ideas about how this is think locally, act locally. I mean, that's I love baseball for that very reason. It is an incremental game with long-standing rules and the statistics, the history matters. <clears throat> baseball fans can often talk about Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron or take your pick, Willie Mays. They can talk about great players because they are students of the game. It's not and it's and it, it's not just the modern players that matter because you can actually measure a modern player against a player from, say, 70 years ago or 100 years ago. You can do that. We know that the, the rules have changed slightly, and, of course, the way we play the game has changed slightly. But, I mean, that's, that's your amendment process. I mean, these things happen. The Constitution does, as you amend it, it can change. But the idea that there was an original intent for baseball stays the same. I mean, it's, it's a game where rules and tradition matter. So those that are originalists, those that believe the Constitution as a limiting document, are on that side. Now, we can quibble about how, how much these people really believe some of these things. But, I mean, that's essentially what we get to. There are reformers in baseball that want to change things. So, But then the other side is playing football. And these are the people that believe the Constitution is generally a document that it's the you-can-do-anything-you-want-to-do document. And essentially... Uh, these are, uh, the, the reason they're playing football is because football doesn't, it's not really attached to tradition. Most people that follow football are not students of the game. I mean, they, they, they know maybe about their team and they can think, oh yeah, there was that guy that played. Uh, but you know, for example, the game has changed so much. If you go back to the 1970s and you had all these great teams in the 19, we're just talking about 40 years ago and how much the game has changed since the 1970s. You had teams like the Steelers and the Vikings, for example. Fran Tarkenton was a great quarterback, but his statistics stunk. Why? Because the game was entirely different in the 1970s than it is today. Today, you can't even look at the Brady 
without being penalized. I, mean, I think there's going to get a point where defensive linemen have to turn their head away from the quarterback, if it's Tom Brady, before he snaps the ball because looking at him will be a penalty. If you touch the Brady, it's a penalty. Receivers can't be touched. The way, I mean, look, receivers were abused in the 1970s. Even into the 1980s, you look at a guy like Joe Montana and the abuse he had to take, the hits that he took, that quarterbacks don't have to face anymore. Uh, so the game has changed a lot. The, the, what's called a penalty has changed, and it keeps changing. What's a pass interference call? All these things changed. Uh, you know, wh- how, how, do we, how do we kick off? I mean, just little things like that. So many things have changed. The way you can block, the way you can tackle, it's all changed. The, uh, and the point of football is to bulldoze your opponent into submission. I mean, that really is the point. The point is to bulldoze them. And you think about the terminology, blitzes, uh, it's militaristic. And so the living constitution, the whole idea behind a living constitution is complete submission of your opponent, your enemy, in politics. Because if the constitution means whatever you want it to mean, you want the other side to submit. And of course, this particular idea of the constitution is based on a much more modern view of federal power or I should say the powers of the general government. We have to get our terms right, too. Or in their mind, the powers of the national government. Think even about the, the major, the major uh, leagues that we have for each, each sport, right? In baseball, you have Major League Baseball. It's just very benign, Major League Baseball. In football, you have the National Football League. It's the National League, Right? Now, I know you have the National League and the American League in baseball, and you have the National fo- uh, the, the NFC and the AFC, the, the uh, National Football Conference and the American Football Conference. So you have kind of the same terminology, but just the overarching. It's the national one. And uh, the way that football operates, where it's very communal. I mean, you've got ca- a, a, a salary cap, and you've got all these different things. It's, it's the, the idea is to, is to make it equal across the board, right? Parity is the idea in the NFL. In baseball, you don't have that as much. I mean, I hate the Yankees. but And you do have a luxury tax where if you go over, so it does prohibit teams. But, I mean, look, teams that are good at uh, at scouting, particularly in areas that are not in the United States, and they have revenue, they're going to go out and they're going to do oftentimes better. I mean, big market clubs usually do better in baseball. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. Uh, so, I mean, this is the case. It's like the, the, the more uh, powerful states. I mean, so this is the case in baseball. And you could say that's a, that's a defect of baseball. But more than anything, it shows that baseball is it's a, it's a much more federal model. Football, bulldoze everything. All the states are equal. Everything's equal. Everybody's equal. Football is the game of the modern left in many ways and the neoconservatives. I mean, this is, this is, we have to get this straight. And baseball is the game of the originalists, okay? So that, all that said, that's a, that's, a, that's a 10-minute explanation of something I've been saying for years. So I bring in this article by David Posen, Eric Talley, and Julian Nyarko, I guess is how, Nyarko, Nyarko, excuse me, Julian Nyarko. Uh, the, it's published at The Atlantic, and the title is Republicans and Democrats are Describing Two Different Constitutions. So it's taken these three law professors, now lots of research to figure this out. Well, we have to, we have to find this out. 
the beginning of this is a short article, but I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because again, I've been saying this for years. That's not just an anecdotal impression. The tools of computer, a compute, computational, excuse me, it's early, analysis shed light on how wide the chasm has grown. The three of us recently examined the evolution of constitutional rhetoric on the floor of Congress from 1873 to 2016. We first identified the hundreds of thousands of remarks that referred to the Constitution. We then trained a machine learning classifier to predict, based solely on the content of the remarks, whether Republicans or Democrats were speaking. Now, first of all, there's a fatal flaw in that particular analysis. The Republican Party of the 1870s is not the modern, well, it is the modern Republican Party, but the way that they've used language has changed over time. Same thing with the Democrats. The Democrat Party of the 1870s, I mean, you're looking at a party on the heels of the war. They're talking about Reconstruction. They are zeroing in on the Constitution. They're showing that the Republican Party is completely unconstitutional. They're doing unconstitutional things all the time. You've got Grover Cleveland in office eventually, who's vetoing all this unconstitutional legislation. So we've got, it's not that the parties have flipped, because the Republican Party in many ways is still a national party. But rhetorically, they do different things now. So that's a little bit odd. If the algorithm finds the task hard to do, it implies that the parties are apt to talk in similar overlapping ways. By contrast, if the algorithm performs this task with a high degree of accuracy, it implies that the parties are largely talking past each other. The results are sobering. Sobering. Yes. Sobering. I mean, just using that term. That's such a leftist term. Sobering. Wow. I didn't expect this. I am just so, uh, so uh, worn down by this. Think about that term. The other one that I don't like is disturbed. They could have said the results are disturbing. But no, this is sobering. I've been woken up from my you drunken euphoria to now know that this is just its sobering. Since around 1980, it has become increasingly easy for the algorithm to predict whether any given constitutional remark was made by a Republican or a Democrat. It has likewise become increasingly easy to predict whether the speaker was a conservative or a liberal. By the time Trump took office, the machine was guessing right roughly 80% of the time, an all-time high by historic standards. Now, part of this is true. It's just what I talked about. Okay, And it doesn't mean the parties are different. It means their rhetoric is different. And it means that what we have, 80% of the time, because there are Republicans and there are people on the right that are going to work with the Democrats and along the same line, generally the Democrats aren't going to... The one thing you can say about the Democrats, and the one thing I admire about the Democrats, they are rock solid in their agenda. Look, I mean, the Republicans, which is where I'll get into the new right and the right, and it's so fractured. The Democrats believe in one thing, and that is we need federal power to do something doesn't matter what that something is. It's just we need federal power to do this particular thing. And they are good parliamentarians. They know how to work legislation. Now, we'll see what happens with this current Congress and if they make mistakes, because they're already making mistakes that I think are going to lead in many ways to their... Look, if Trump wins in 2020, you are going to see a political meltdown on the left that you have never seen before. But these people are relentless. Uh, I, I saw that the, um, I can't remember which magazine it was, 
But after, just before Trump's, uh, just before Trump's election in 16, they ran an article. Will Trump allow the election to happen if Hillary wins? This is exactly what the left has done. They, they opened up their own playbook. In this magazine article, this is what they were going to do. If Trump wins, will they let him win the election? Because they don't believe in their mind they can lose an election. They believe, because they read too much Twitter, that they are America. What they don't understand is that they're not. Now, certainly, Hillary did get more popular votes, but that's because of California. You take California out of the equation and Trump wins in a landslide. So that's it. Do we want to be governed by California? Is the question I want to ask everybody. Do we want to be governed by California? But regardless, we have a situation now where the Democrats are rock solid in their agenda. The Republicans, not always so much, but still. He can, these authors continue, this result holds up across multiple machine learning classifiers, multiple measures of algorithmic accuracy, and multiple criteria for what counts as a constitutional remark. Additional tests of the disjointedness between the party's rhetoric point to the same conclusion. To an unprecedented extent, Republican and Democratic members of Congress no longer speak the same constitutional language. No, they don't, because they're playing two different games on two different fields. Two different teams. You've got one team playing football, one team playing baseball. The Democrats really are playing football. They are Their agenda is to bulldoze the opposition. This is why Trump was so attractive to a lot of people, because he wants to bulldoze the opposition. He, doesn't, he wants to embarrass them. And people love this. One of the things in my Nine Presidents book, one, one of the hopes is that I wanted to show people we need to demystify the presidency. And I think Trump has done some of that. He's demystified the presidency. Now, of course, there's going to be a pendulum swing the other direction. I think you could see a situation where the next person that's elected after Trump, whether that's 2020 or 2024, the next person comes in and uh, they, uh, they try to go back to the mystification of the, of the uh, presidency. But Trump has opened a Pandora's box. You're going to see people, because young people have bought into all the Twitter and everything else, you're going to see people in the future, candidates, Try to capitalize on this. I mean, look, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does this. Now, she doesn't troll like Trump. There is nobody better in politics at trolling as a major political figure than Donald Trump. He trolls in ways that are just so hilarious that, I mean, you have to almost just say, wow, right? How does this guy pull it off? He knows how to work the media better than anyone else. Cortez knows how to work the media in her favor, but she, of course, uses the new media, the new social media to do it. There's not anyone else out there that can pull it off. You look at, I mean, Elizabeth Warren is so banal and boring in her Twitter account. So boring. And she opens herself up. I mean, it's just softball after softball after softball. Same thing with Bernie Sanders. Softballs for people to troll them constantly. Trump doesn't do that. He, he blocks it all the time. Uh, now, I mean, there are times that he makes mistakes, but still... He uses media in ways that nobody can. So um, I think that this is important to, to understand what the left wants to do. They want to bulldoze people. They want to ruin them. They want to ruin them, which is why when we get to the discussion of the new right, you have so many people on the new right that want to do the exact same thing to the left. They want to ruin them. Uh, this is, again, why I found uh, Tulsi Gabbard so interesting because, I mean, she's come out and said, look, she's the only person on the left this generally come out and said, I'm for free speech. Uh, we do have some, I mean, at least rhetorically people on the right that will say this. I'm not certain they do, but um, that say, look, we, we need to have these free exchange of ideas. Now, 
Going on, underlying this polarization of constitutional discourse, we further found after competing constitutional vocabulary, uh, uh, I'm sorry, we further found our competing constitutional voca- vocabularies. I do these things early, so excuse me for the misreading at times. Terms dating back to the ratification of the original constitution in the 1700s have become relatively associated with the Republican Party. For instance, today's conservatives are more likely to use the phrase founding fathers and cite textual provisions such as the First, Second, and Tenth Amendments, emphasizing themes of individual liberty and the autonomy of the states. Wow. So you mean, this is where, (laughs) this is funny, because when you talk about the Constitution nowadays, when you talk about these terms, as they're saying, you bring up, well, you know, what about the First Amendment? What? I mean, what are you, some right-winger? I mean, since when has the Constitution become known as a quote-unquote right-wing document? Well, since it thwarts the entire leftist agenda. I mean, this is why it's a right-wing document. These people are very clear that they don't really care about the Constitution, not the original Constitution at all. It is a block to everything they want to do. And the time will come in the near future, and it's already happened in some cases, where the Constitution will be called racist. The Constitution is, it, it will become the mainstream view of the Constitution for the left. Now, they don't do this now, but I can predict within the next 20 years, this is going to happen. Why? Because it was written by a racist, theoretically, in James Madison. And if it's not James Madison as the father of the Constitution, well, I mean, look, John Dickinson was there. Uh, he helped, uh, and he was a racist because he owned slaves. Uh, and then, of course, you got Roger Sherman. Roger Sherman was a racist because he allowed for the Three-Fifths Compromise from Connecticut, but he was a racist. So what you're going to have is the fact that the Constitution is racist. Okay, This will happen. And so the, the idea will be to undermine the entire belief. If you believe in the Constitution, you're a racist. You're a racist if you believe in the Constitution. This is going to happen. Okay, mark my words. It's already, if you look at the fringe left, they're already doing it. But it will become mainstream because the left, and this is one beautiful thing, I think Michael Malice points this out in his book, and again, the left goes, if you have, if you have a scale, he talks about this, from 0 to 10, right? The left goes to 10, and then everybody, oh my gosh. So what happens is you settle at a 5, right? The, the, the right never says, we're going to stick to 0. <laughs> we're not going to 1, we're staying at 0. So eventually, oh, well, we'll go to five. And then the, then the, it'll move. Now it's from five to 15. So the left goes to 15. Then they settle at 10. Then it goes to 20. Then they settle at 15. This is what starts happening. So the right doesn't really offer an obstacle to anything. So eventually, the Constitution will be racist. It's just going to happen because of the way the left operates. And this this points it out. I mean, you've got the, the Republicans generally on the right. I mean, we can talk about the, re- I mean, this term Republican Party is just ambiguous. It's, it's vague. But generally conservatives are going to say, you know, we believe in the Constitution when it when it benefits them. We believe in the Constitution uh, and we believe in the 10th Amendment. Uh, we believe, but the 10th, is the 10th Amendment a right-wing issue? Of course not. In fact, it's used more by left-wingers than right-wingers. How about the First Amendment? Of course it's not a, a right-wing issue. Uh, the, the left talks about the First Amendment all the time. Shutting down the free press. Donald Trump's going after the First Amendment. Ah! Now, the Second Amendment has been seen as a right-wing issue. But I've talked about the Second Amendment several times. Um, it, it, but all these things now, and we talk about state powers, which is not a right-wing issue, but it's, it's seen that way. 
Um, we use as individual liberty a right-wing issue. I mean, this is how ridiculous this stuff is, but this is where we are. So, the late 18th century has become the conservatives. And when they talk about the Constitution, this is what they're getting at. Now, rhetorically, this sounds great. Of course, most of them don't want to hear to it. Terms from, from or about the Reconstruction Amendments of 1875 to 18, excuse me, 1870, on the other hand, have become relatively associated with the Democrat Party. Democrats are more likely to deploy the phrase civil rights and voting rights in particular, emphasizing themes of equality and federal authority. The perennial tension in constitutional law between the values of the founding and the values of Reconstruction, as the law professor Kermit Roosevelt has described it, is today a highly partisan struggle. You know, I found that fascinating. Here's Kermit Roosevelt, related to the other Kermit Roosevelt that was the CIA op that was destabilizing the entire uh, Middle East in Iran in the 1950s. Um, so, he, I mean, progressive, right? Progressives. Uh, but here you have uh, the, the, the point. You've got two Americas. This is my entire Reconstruction class. I mean, look. You've got, you've got two Americas. You've got an America that is based on the original understanding of the Constitution, that's based on thinking locally, act, acting locally. I'm not talking about the political class. I'm talking about the people, the schlubs like us here that can run their mouths on a podcast or that go out and work a job. The schlubs like us who are, are here, there's their America in one way or the other, whether you're on the left or the right. Whether you believe, maybe you believe in the... In the founding, uh, you believe in thinking local. Maybe you're you're a schlub like us, but you're on the left, and you think that no, no, no. What we need to do is have you know strong federal power, and we need to we need to um, to uh, go out and, and ensure equal justice and social justice. I mean, look, these are the driving things. The elites, though, particularly on the left, are more easily they more easily take that second agenda because it works for them. Right? Even on the right, the neoconservatives believe in this stuff too. But it works for them. It gets them power, which is the important thing. It gets them power. The values of Reconstruction. Democracy is an, is an ends to itself. We just need everybody to vote. If everybody votes, the world will be a better place. If we have toddlers voting, the world will be a better place. Because it's democracy. I mean, the whole term democracy has taken on a religious meaning. I mean, we have the pantheon to democracy. Uh, we've, got, we've got oracle to democracy. We've got all these things, just democracy. We worship it on the left. And what does this term civil rights even mean anymore? Certainly not for those that disagree with you. There's no civil rights there. These people need to be destroyed. Destroyed doxxed, destroyed. I mean, they need to be made uh, to be the pariahs of society. Uh, so we have a situation where the it's not even the values of Reconstruction anymore. It's just the values of national bulldozing to get your, to get your way politically. And that is about one word in its power. It goes, I mean, look, that's the term that we need to understand for all of American history. I don't care what period you're talking about. It's power. Who's going to have the power? Who's going to control the spoils of government? Nowadays, the left is just better at it because they just want to bulldoze the other side. They're relentless. Again, they're relentless. They, they have a singular vision, and that's what they're going to do. The right gets distracted. The left, not so much. They have an agenda, and they go for it. That's because they're ideologues. 
And that's what ideologues do. So my entire course on Reconstruction is about that. It's the remaking of America. The founding, the, the original Constitution is gone. I mean, it doesn't even matter. You can rhetorically talk about it, but unless you're willing to do it, which means the states have to do it, you're not going to have it. This is why the Tenth Amendment Center and groups like that that are pushing a Tenth Amendment agenda, they're so dangerous to the establishment because they're waking people up. Hey, you really know you have the power? I mean, all this stuff, it's all just a facade. It's all just Oz behind the curtain. The states really do have all the powers. If they just realize this, the general government almost always backs down. There's only been a couple of instances. I mean, one major instance in the 1860s. But generally, nullification worked. The general government backs down. It works. Last paragraph. Even more so than the fight over Trump's tax returns, the ongoing debate over a high-profile Democratic electoral reform bill shows how this struggle plays out. After House Democrats introduced H.R. 1 in January, Republicans insisted that the bill would limit Americans' First Amendment right to political speech. Senator Mitch McConnell. Encroach on the liberties and powers of the Constitution reserved for the states and the people, Representative Jeff Duncan, and undermine the original intent of the founders, Representative Barry Loudermilk. Democrats countered that the bill would provide crucial protections for the constitutional right to vote, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, and help redeem a constitution that was flawed in its inception by not recognizing the full equality of every American, Senator Jeff uh, Merkley. So think of the last two statements are just so stupid. Uh, but this is where we are. We've got we've got stupid on one side, but but demagogic, right, on one side. And then people saying, hey, look, this is we're, we're looking at a, a violation of the original Constitution here. There's no constitutional right to vote. There's no constitutional right to vote. We can say there have been amendments that have expanded the suffrage, but there's no constitutional right to vote. You look at the original Constitution. It's not there. The states determined all of that. The states could have said you had to be 50 to vote and have um, and have uh, a thousand acres of land. The states could have done any of that. There's no constitutional right to vote. There's no religious test. That's the only thing. And then, of course, we say, well, you, ha- you can't prohibit people because they're uh, of their race. Then you can't prohibit people because of their sex. And you can't say you, you can't vote if you're 18 or over. But other than that, and you can't say you have to be a Christian to vote or you have to take a religious test to vote. Other than that, the states can do whatever they want. They can require an ID to vote. They can require you take a test to vote. Can you, can you, do you know basic American civics? All these things are still possible. Now, we, would you think the, the political backlash for doing, look, even an ID, the idea that you show an ID to go vote is, sin, is seen as some type of civil rights violation. I can only imagine if a state said, you know what, we want to ensure that people pass, that have a basic understanding of civics vote. I mean, it could be so basic, like what are the three branches of government, which Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would have failed. What are the three branches of government? It could be something for the, for the general government. Uh, you know, give me some, some general information about the Constitution, whatever it is, to vote in a federal election. It could be something that basic, but it would be called all kinds of names under the sun. It's a violation of civil rights to do that because you can be as stupid as you want and still go vote. I mean, look, Michelle Obama essentially came out and said that. I was stupid and I still voted. Yeah, yeah, woo, everybody that's stupid, go vote. But I mean, this is where we are. Uh, so this, this piece is 100% right where we've gotten to a point, but this has been going on for a long time. And it's it takes... Well, these uh, professors, I mean, they're, they're sobering. I didn't realize this. No, 
No, you don't pay attention? This is sobering? You don't realize this is going on? You don't realize that we have two different games on two different... Look, again, years I've been saying this. Years. Uh, and so we, we, this, is, this has been the case for a long time. Uh, the one side doesn't really care about the Constitution. They care about power. The other side rhetorically cares about the Constitution, but they still care about power. Uh, it's just the people at the bottom here. This is why any of, any change that's going to be affected is not going to come from the political class. It has to come from the states. It has to come from the decentralized structure of the United States. It has to come from thinking locally and acting locally. So that's my think locally, act locally pitch in this particular episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll see you next time for a discussion of the new right. <laughs>